I am aware that there has been a kind of a destiny in my life. There is a hand reaching out. There is a nudging going on. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. My guest is Dr. Roger Sorensen, professor of theater and media arts at Brigham Young University. He's directed over a hundred different stage productions at various schools and other theaters and is a past artistic director of the Hill Camorra Pageant, a large annual outdoor religious pageant in western New York State telling the story of the Book of Mormon. Roger Sorensen, thank you for speaking with me in good faith. Thanks, Steve. It's really good to be here with you. I've had so much fun reading some of your speeches online, pulling out little lines that I think give me some insight. And here's one that I just love. It says, making believe and making belief are two powers that art exercises in our lives, which makes me want to start with the question, theater arrives at truth through pretending. So how does that relate to belief? Is it is it through pretending? It's interesting, isn't it, that that we make believe and that by so doing, we actually start down a road of believing. And so pretending is an interesting concept, the idea that we're just pretending to be something that we're not. And, of course, it oftentimes we – through pretending to be something we're not, we actually become something that we are. Or another way of looking at that is through pretending to be something we're not, we discover what we really are. Mm. And so there is a relationship between making believe and making belief. And oftentimes it's done through performance or through the arts or through through uh, theater or through singing or through dancing. We make believe. And that make belief ends up taking us to a place where we begin to say, what do I believe? As a result of having gone through that process of performance, we actually find ourselves in a place where that performance has become efficacious to us. It's become truthful to us. I like making belief way better than pretend because that yes. implies a step of faith. Right. Uh, I've heard people say uh, – well, I was hired as a producer, and I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, what would a producer do? Mm -hmm. I'll pretend I am one. And then they find themselves totally comfortable doing that. Exactly. And we often do that in, in a classroom when uh, I begin teaching a class, and students do not yet comprehend what the principles are. We trust in each other, and we trust that by discussing them and teaching them and discovering them together, we will together learn and that is a place of belief because belief requires change. Belief requires change. It, re it requires of us that we actually go through a journey. And that journey takes us from one place to another, and that's the journey of faith. And the lovely thing about all of that, whether it is teaching or whether it is creating, it, it's composing music or whether it is choreographing dance or creating pictures that tell stories in a film or in, in a play, that discovery brings about life changes. And those life changes are a result and can only come about because of the atonement. And so all of that is tied very closely together. Well, you already headed where I was hoping to head when you mentioned a life journey and the journey of faith. So let me ask about the beginnings of faith and belief in your life. Do you remember the first time you thought, I think this is real? When I think about what, when I first started to believe, I don't know when that was. Having been raised in a home where there was belief, it was always there in a way, but there is something more profound about the fact that even though that belief was there, sometime along the road, along the journey, one began believing. Even though others around us believe, we have to begin believing sometime. Hmm. And probably that began for me when sometime in high school, when I started having experiences with um, spirit. Mm -hmm. And 
even more so after high school. I think it happened to me most profoundly after I was married because I got married at a young age. Claudia and I were both 19 when we married. And there was, a, there was of course, the expectation of temple marriage, which we fulfilled. But beyond that, there was, there was that moment when the Spirit actually whispered that this marriage was right hmm. after the marriage. <laughs> That's quite a step of faith. Right. <laughs> and for me, that was the most significant early experience in my life. Not other things. I was a little bit rebellious in those younger years, and I uh, did not really read the Book of Mormon until later. And when I did read Book of Mormon, it's when I was working on Hilkmore Pageant. And I remember so many moments. I remember a moment that I was hanging lights on the Hilkmore uh, for the pageant, and the sound system was turned on that day that I was hanging lights. And I remember being at the top of a telephone pole because that's what we used for to hang lights on were telephone poles. And I had climbed up the, this telephone pole and was hanging a light and the music came on. And one thing music is, it is a transformer of the soul. And at that moment, my soul was transformed. Hmm. And I found myself in a state of belief, in a state of wonder, in a state of, of um, this incredible place of uh, understanding something in the heart, not in my mind, in my heart. Even though it was later in my life, later, what was I, 27 or 28 or something. And, but those are moments that have altered me because of the Spirit and through the atonement and that have left me marked and changed for life and for eternity. How do you remember moments like that, or are they unforgettable, do you, or do they have to be recorded? I'm thinking of those peak experiences, and then this, maybe I'll call it a trough mm-hmm. <laughs> in right. between, it comes because down below it seems like we can't in. live, if only we could, in a state of connection with the, yeah. the divine like that. Um, of course, recording them in journals and... and uh, going back and reading them, but that one is almost, um, it's not forgettable. It, it's a moment of transformation, and, and as a result, I'm changed. Uh, so I, I, I just can't forget it, although I'm, I did record it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, over the journey of a lifetime, mm-hmm. uh, as, you, as you learn and you grow, what are the things or the activities or practices that most connect you to God? Prayer, of course. Um, temple. I work in the temple um, every week and spend six, seven hours working in the temple. And there are... I love rituals. Rituals are a part of my life. They have been a part of my life ever, ever since I began performing rituals or engaging in rituals. And... The arts are ritual-based. Theater especially is ritual-based. Music is ritual-based. We do things over and over again. We repeat them. And those things that we do, which have the very structure of ritual, those performances transform. In fact, I I think of it this way. Um, In the temple, we perform ordinances, and we do those by proxy. And that brings life to the dead. And in the arts, we perform experiences. And we do that for audience members. And therefore, we do it by proxy. And it brings life to us, renewed life. And so whether it is a ritual in a temple or a religious ritual, or whether it is a ritual which could be considered non-religious, right, the arts, what we are about is transformation, transformation of souls, transformation of minds, transformation of hearts. And those transformations come about because through make-believe, we have made belief. We have transformed the soul. And that, again, comes back to the atonement. 
It gives a whole other meaning to the phrase that I guess we hear all the time, performing an ordinance. Right. But never give any kind of, I don't want to say theatrical, but but that's one way of of, of looking at think, it. Of looking and, at it. And whatever the rituals are and whatever the religion is, those rituals link us to God and to our belief in God, a heavenly father, a creator. Are there times when you've had to face doubt or felt like you were searching for an answer or hoping for some result and felt like you had to wait a long time and wondered? Mm. Yes, yes. I think that my doubts, I'm not sure I have ever doubted there was a creator, Mm -hmm. a heavenly father who cared about us. And I don't believe I have had doubts that there is a Savior who atoned for us. There is something about an atonement that places us in a context of existence that allows for transformation and change, that that informs the world we live in to the extent that I cannot conceive of living in a world in which we cannot change. And I think that's because of my own incredible weaknesses that I perceive and know. And, and I'm so grateful that I am able to actually make changes after I make blunders, make changes after I make major mistakes. And uh, that comes about because of that potential for change. Um, doubts. I've had doubts, of course. I have had doubts. I've had doubts about I have wonders. Maybe another way of putting it is I wonder, how how can Heavenly Father actually hear all of the millions of people that pray to him? Hmm. How can there be so many – how can agency be so important that there are people throughout history who have actually, of their own free will and choice – brought about the deaths of millions and millions of people. How can agency be so important that there are people today who try and force their will upon other people, and if they don't, other people don't accept it, they simply kill them? The violence of that kind of a world is hard to to reconcile with the fact that agency. And that causes doubts for me in my mind. Um, how can there be so many people who don't get along? And how can, how can there be leaders wherever they are, whatever they are in, whatever organization they're in, who are, who are filled with hubris and yet we are expected to obey them, who have their own weaknesses and we must obey them? I struggle with that. Um, I struggle with um, how you're, to do that. You're not alone in these questions. Right. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think I am. And how can I, when I have made mistakes that, make, that have brought about really difficult things in other people's lives, how can I find a way to rebuild that? Hmm. So it, it, I doubt. We, I have struggle. I struggle mightily. So in the face of those, what do you go back to? Is it those original beliefs you were telling me about, about a creator and a savior? I, the, the only thing I can go back to is a renewed commitment to, a, to strengthen a relationship with a heavenly father and a savior. Because when they go for a long time without touching me through, and, and how do they talk to me? They talk to me through... A warmth in my heart, and and sometimes my heart has become hard, and so I struggle with that and doubt that. Tell me about what you get from working in a religious community as opposed to what you get from private practices. Now, that is a very interesting question, Steve, because I, I work both in a religious community and I work in many organizations that are out in the world. And so I work with, with people who are not – they are not linked to a religious community the way I am. So I'm linked with a religious community in my, in my religious practices. I'm linked to a religious community in my professional work. I am linked to non-religious communities in my professional organizations. So how do I distinguish or differ from 
my the way I approached those. I thought about that. I've been I think about that quite often because of of my positions in organizations outside of here, and I think that I don't differentiate. I think that I try to be who I am there, here at church, at when I'm teaching at BYU, when I'm uh, serving on boards across the nation, when I'm up in other communities, I go to other communities to direct shows. I try and be the same person. I try and be that same person. Now, do I succeed? I don't know. Because there are times that I, and I have my faith challenged when they, people ask me about the, the church's stands on certain things and my beliefs on certain things. And when my beliefs and the church's stand, sometimes there's tension between them. And, and ultimately, it boils down to this. How much do I love the people I work with, whether they are here or there or wherever they are? How much do I love them? And if I love them, then we can talk through those difficulties or those tensions and those struggles. Or I can some way say, this which I do not understand in my own religion, my own religious practices, I will have to wait to understand that for some other time and some other place. Although I can still say, I don't understand it. And it's hard for me to practice it. I heard someone speaking recently about a question they had asked the Dalai Lama, Mm -hmm. which is, how do I respond to people who treat me with contempt because of my beliefs? And and he's talking about both sides, Mm -hmm. whether it's political, religious, uh, racial tensions, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And he said to respond with warm-heartedness. And the idea was that there is too much contempt Mm-hmm. And that instead of just talking about ideas, it seems like these days we, we tend to actually speak with contempt towards anyone with a different side. And he was saying, as you act with warm-heartedness towards people, and mm-hmm. they often perhaps surprise. Have you had this experience mm-hmm. of you can talk to people in situations where the Venn diagram barely even touches yeah. or overlaps? Have you had that experience? I have. Yes, I have. I have. I have. Dear friends who don't quite can't reconcile me and the church in relationship to um, same-sex attraction, for example, uh, I was at a dinner one time, and this one dear dear friend of mine, she kept saying, "Why, why, why is this what you believe? Why do you believe this way?" And and I and I have another friend who is a dear friend of both of us, and he kept saying he he would say, um, "Well." It's a religious thing. It's a religious thing. And then I simply said, I struggle with this. I believe in this church with all of my heart. That's a religious thing. I struggle with this. I love people. I have many dear friends who have same-sex attraction. I love them dearly. But how do I reconcile that? The only way I can is I love you, Sharon. I love you. And I love them. And that's all I can say right now, because I don't know how else to address it. Respond with warm-heartedness. Yeah, respond with warm-heartedness. Are you a parent? A parent, yes, and a grandparent. How has that affected, or has that affected your beliefs or your relationship with God? Um, I am a parent who has children who struggle with their testimonies, and uh, some struggle to the point they've left the church, and so I struggle. And I love them. And it's not been an easy road because I want to respect and love them for who and what they are and ask that they respect and love me for who and what I am. And we are of the same blood. Now, those seem like easy requests, but family relationships can't complicate They are that. so dynamic and so difficult. So, no, it's not easy. But but so, I think I've gone through the journey of asking, so how does this happen and how can I reconcile this and how can I continue to have this conversation with my children and this conversation with my Heavenly Father and this conversation with my wife and this conversation with my friends? How do we keep having those conversations? And a couple of things. One is 
Sometimes I'm just silent because I don't know what to say. Other times, <laughs> I'm not just... E- not everyone knows how to do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, sometimes I don't either. But I, the other thing is, is, is as long as there, there just has to be love. No matter what, there has to be love. Are there times when you have felt like either in a moment or perhaps in looking in retrospect that you say, I see God working in my life? leading or guiding or directing and either I suddenly I realize that or as I look back it seems to be open to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. almost I can't say all of the time but I am aware that there has been a kind of a destiny in my life even when I have not been faithful the way I need to be that there is a hand reaching out. There is a nudging going on. There are... When I was hired at BYU, I was working at Ricks College. And... Now BYU-Idaho. BYU-Idaho. And I had trained specifically to work in a community college and teach lower-level courses and direct with inexperienced people. That's what I had wanted to do all my life. And then I came here to BYU and found myself in a different atmosphere that was really a struggle to make the assimilation into this um, culture, into this, into this place of, and the expectations of this place. But yet once I made it, then looking back... I realized there was a very specific hand in that process. And another one is when I was asked to work on the Hilkamora pageant. That was a really important moment in my life. And I started doing it as a theatrical thing because I loved doing it as a theatrical <laughs> thing. But what I came to understand is that we were not creating a theatrical performance we were creating religious, spiritual, transformative experiences. And so what I thought was make-believe turned into make-belief in a profound way. And in looking back, I could see the, the Spirit moving me in that direction. And so I'm really grateful for those moments and times. Those kinds of moments come because I get to work in the arts, because I get to listen to music, I get to produce it and help with it, and because I work in those, those, those wonderful transformative things, my soul is continually aware of its own inadequacies and opportunities and transformative experiences. I look back after each production that I do and think, I think oh my goodness, this happened and this happened and this happened, and we were transformed. And that I credit to the Spirit and to the atonement. You talk about those nudgings and even that feeling of destiny. Mm -hmm. You believe in a God that personal. I do. I don't understand it, but I do. I don't understand how he can be so personal with all of us, but I feel like he is. I feel that somewhere in my soul. Um. And, and oftentimes I think it is because there is this spirit, there is this Holy Ghost that is the, the individual through whom we both work, we work together. And that has that capacity of opening up and embracing in ways. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't understand it, but I do believe that. What should I ask that I don't know to ask? Was there something you came bringing, something in your heart you wanted to be sure came out? I think of all of the experiences that I've had, and they all seem to tie together in this tapestry of creating, of taking belief and faith. There was one of Shakespeare's shows called The Winter's Tale, and the very last scene in The Winter's Tale is where a character named Paulina has a character named Leontes. And he had brought about the death of his wife 16 years earlier. And Polina had commissioned a statue of his wife made. 
And this moment of when Leontes sees the statue of Hermione, his wife, and looks at it, and his breath is taken away, and Paulina says to him, I can make the statue move, indeed live. However, you must awake your faith, and if you do, I can do that. And he says, no foot will stir. We will stay. And then she says, music, awake her, strike. Faith and the arts merge together in that way so profoundly that life is restored and Hermione came back to life. And it's just, that's what it is for me. Faith and the arts bonded together. Roger Sorensen, thank you so much for speaking with us in good faith. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from a panel of listeners as they discuss the ideas presented by our guest, Roger Sorensen. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. What does ritual mean to you in your spiritual life? How do you love those you may disagree with on spiritual matters? And what about the things that you just don't know? We invited a group of people to listen to our guest and then respond. Sam Payne taught religion to high school students for a dozen years. Today he tells stories on stage and on the radio and collects toy robots. Lynette Bunker is a nurse who loves to spend time with her coast-to-coast grandchildren. She'll read them a story anytime, anywhere, but has to travel to them to do it. Matthew Esplin believes you can be happy in any circumstance. He says happiness is a choice. Todd Bowen is the father of five great kids. He relocated to Utah seven years ago from Fresno, California to be post-production manager at BYU-TV. He's become a fitness geek over the past year and loves the gym. It was a real delight to hear someone speak for whom there was such a resonance between the thing that he had chosen to do for his work, his life's work, and his faith, you know. The line between his work and his faith was so – there wasn't a line. You know, they, they, they crossed over freely into each other. And one of the things I enjoyed was his description of uh, his early family life where, where he, de- he, he described growing up in a home filled with belief – that he then at one point had to decide to begin to believe himself. And I, and I thought about his work on stage. You know, I thought about his work as a, as a director and as an actor presenting, positing really, if you will, this kind of set, the, the, making this invitation to believe in a thing that is placed before you and then making the choice to believe that thing, you know, as if, that, as if the thing that, that audiences were invited to do in a play – was the thing he was invited to do as a child, you know, uh, n- not in any way that the belief in his home was pretend, but rather that there was this play being played out before him that he was invited to look at and at one point decide to believe in. You know? I like the idea, too, that that we all come to some period of time where we question when we're first brought into a home as a newborn, we accept as normal And our reality is what happens in that home on a daily basis, just the natural course of things for all of us as we grow up. uh, At some point in time, we come across experiences, uh, comments that cause us to reflect and think, am I accurately thinking that my family my family life, my home situation, that that is the normal. It's not that way for everybody. Uh, there's cultural differences. There's just religious differences that come up in every every home. So those are significant events that happen to us where we then start to question what we have always known. And I like how you mentioned that uh, what he chose to have important in his life, the arts, um, that that also helped him direct and uh, challenge the things that he believed about his family and his religious life, his spiritual life, was able to reconcile those things and uh, feel stronger about both of them in the end. Yeah, made me think, you know, growing up, um, my parents 
raised us in a very faith-based home. There does come a time where you have to decide as a young adult or at some point in your life, you decide, am I going to continue with this? Am I going to go this way or or what? And it, for me, it was facing a major decision for me was uh, whether or not to serve a uh, Mormon mission for our church. Um, are, you know, that's a big commitment for a young person. And I remember not really thinking I wanted to go and then have to do some serious soul searching. And and then it did hit me to where the the light came on or the fire inside or the, the spirit, however you want to phrase it, um, impacted me. And I, re- I remember just uh, bawling a- as a young man, um, knowing that my heart was touched and um, knowing that God had a plan for me and knowing that um, that was what he wanted me to do. It was overnight change. Um, I remember my parents talking about it, how um, happy they were that you know the the change happened like that, and and um, and yeah. It, I think every young person or young adult goes through that phase where they have to decide for themselves. I grew up in a family of ten. There's eight kids and two parents, and I was listening to him. I could connect with him. And I thought about my own family and my own life, and there were many different opinions. Um, we were all the same belief, same religion, but there were a lot of different opinions on how to do things. And one of the common things that my mom and dad taught me was to go back to commonalities and what do we have common. And they also taught us about love and respect. And that is something I had to learn early on was how to love everybody and respect everyone but I was sitting there listening to him talk and had some very good uh, memories of my childhood. And and again, that early uh, young adult life, you do have to make a choice for yourself. I had lots of people around me that told me what to do, but it was ultimately up to me. Which way did I, what did I want to do? Which way did I want to go? It's It's so interesting, you know, to think about that kind of life choice in the context of of Roger Sorensen talking about putting on plays. You know, it's almost as if for the actors, there's this kind of world that's created on stage and you kind of get to say, well, what if the world were like this? Do, do the things that I believe still hold true? You know, and it, you do another play and you think, oh, well, what if the world were like this? Do the things that I believe still hold true? You get to kind of try on all these all these different worlds. You know, I, I'm thinking about that in the context of him having said, you know, that 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 we pretend on stage to be something we're not, and in pretending to be something we're not, we discover who we are. You know, you have an opportunity in a in a in a safe place to sort of test the strength of your beliefs, to test the the shape of your beliefs, to 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 ask yourself questions. I, I know that I did. I was really struck by his sort of listing of some of the things that he questioned and doubted in his life. And the thing that struck me about those questions was that they really were the questions of a believer. He talked about agency, for example, and and his question ran along the lines of, in a world where agency is so important, how can some of these things happen? But he didn't say, is agency really all that important? You know, I mean, he, th- that wasn't his question. His question was, given this thing that I believe, how do I relate to a world in which, you know, so many things seem to, so many negative things seem to happen because of that preeminent value, this notion of reconciling yourself to the violence of a world in which agency is such a preeminent value. It struck me again the degree to which those were the questions of a believer and not the questions of somebody who's trying to get out. You know, <laughs> I really liked what he had to say about doubts too because he's um, – there are doubts. There are things that we all wonder about but it causes us to struggle mightily I think was the words that he used. With that struggling mightily, it caused uh, a perception of weakness and – 
that perception of weakness was then the springboard of the motivation to do some kind of change, uh, reach some other kind of potential. So the doubts, although we think of them as being a negative thing, it actually turns out to be a positive experience because it forces us to uh, reach a potential that may not that we may not gravitate to, except that we perceive this weakness because of that doubt. I'm in the uh, second to youngest in my family, and so I have had the opportunity to watch my older siblings and other people a lot older than me go through life. And it was hard for me to kind of connect with him on these points because I'm the kind that uh, will watch and observe. And I have never had to – I've never doubted his questions. I've never doubted uh, when he talked about a creator. He talked about agency and he talked about those things. I'm like, to me, those are things I have just never doubted. My own beliefs, uh, to me, just take care of that. I have had friends. Uh, one of my best friends was the oldest of his family. And him and I had some very interesting conversations because he was much like uh, Dr. Sorensen. He was kind of the first one out there and setting that example for his younger siblings. I thought of a time where I I seriously tried to doubt. Um, it, it, it was 25 years ago. I was a young married and couple kids and my wife died in a scuba diving accident. Um, I remember it, it, she was, th- it was three days in the hospital um, and I remember sitting on the curb um, out behind the hospital by myself um, really questioning my belief and, and I thought, you know, if I ever had reason to doubt, now's the time to doubt, where am I going to go? And I really felt like my life was at a crossroads. It's really hard to see, is God aware of me? Is he, is he leading my life? Is this what is in, was in store for me? Um, and I remember sitting there and it just it, it hit me that, that, that deep, deep down belief that there has to be a God that he has to know about me. He has, there has to be a reason to this. Um, just came through and, and I, I had to believe. I, that was the, like the only thing I had to hang on to and, and was my faith and, and my belief. And uh, I look back at it now and I go, you know, that was a serious crossroads for me where I could have picked. And um, – Thank goodness I was strong enough, and thank goodness I had enough base in my life to cross that road and continue down the path. I I look back now 25 years later, and I thank God that I had enough of a foundation to get through that. So maybe when he talks about you know never really doubting God, I can identify with that because I tried. <laughs> But uh, I never, I never could not trust yeah. in him. Sounds like it was a sincere doubt that kind of leads me back to another area that he talked a lot about was uh, the value of practices mm. and ritual in our lives mm. and how it gives us kind of a foundation. Um, I, I think I hadn't really thought about um, for those that are very creative. Um, whether it be acting or composing or uh, painting, whatever art form that they take, that there's still creative processes going along. There's still a very large element of practice and ritual that has to go on, principles that they have learned. And then, you know, a brush stroke is a brush stroke is a brush stroke. But each of those brush strokes in the end really amount to something. And so I think what he was talking about when he talked about practices and prayer and rituals being a strong foundation that uh, it seems to me in your personal experience, you had you had established those practices and rituals and then they did benefit you when you came to that time of doubt. Yeah, I always learned to pray and, you know, our family, we, we prayed together and we'd go to church every Sunday and I don't know. It was like all those little things added up. You know, maybe each one of those could be that brush stroke um, that added up that 
that held wasn't was enough there to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a that was a rough dark time. But uh, and and he he mentioned his moment um, where he was hanging the lights and the music uh, kind of pierced his soul. He says it was unforgettable that he will always remember that moment. And for me, I will always remember that moment. You know, there's been other times where I felt inspired or uh, you feel led to do something or you feel like God's talking to you. But um, I, I can't go back and remember where I was, what it looked like, the, the specific instant. But I will always remember that specific instance. I, I got to say, I totally thought that was going to be a story about him hanging lights at the top of a telephone pole and 100,000 watts of speakers turning on and knocking him off the telephone pole and, and him having a spiritual experience. <laughs> You're listening to A Conversation in Good Faith, a group of listeners sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show with Dr. Roger Sorensen. Now back to the conversation. He talked a lot about religious practice and and the the mm-hmm. word ritual and the notion of repeating behaviors that teach you and focus you and things like that. You know, but one of the things he also talked about was this notion of building a relationship with God, right? And I and I think I think a, a, a lot of people look on religious practice in the way you might look on a you know the ticking off of a task list. And other people look on on uh, on on religious practice as the development of a relationship, uh, building a relationship between you and somebody that you love and come to trust. Along those lines, I thought about his coming from Rick's College to BYU, and 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 earlier in in his remarks about getting married and not receiving the confirmation that marriage to that person was the right thing. You know, until yeah. after. <laughs> How scary is that? Yeah. <laughs> but and he commented on it later. You know, he said, "I I looked back. I in retrospect, making those decisions in the best way that I know how, based on the best knowledge that I have of right and wrong, and what's going to be good for my family and for myself. You know, and then and then only seeing kind of the divine hand of guidance in retrospect, looking mm-hmm. back and seeing what he called a specific hand. You know." That resonated with me. Sometimes you you kind of look up toward heaven and say, "What do I do next?" and and the heavens are kind of closed. And then you make a decision and you go forward and and you look back and you see the hand of providence having guided you. That's something that I think I I relate to. I think what happens in my life. I try to make a choice, and sometimes I feel like I'm just supposed to move forward on my own. And looking back, many times I see. There was some extra help. There was somebody there really guiding me along my way. And yet sometimes we have to move forward with faith and hope for the best. And it's not always easy, but that's how I I feel that I am taught by a higher power. I totally related to that too. Coming here to BYU, um, I, I grew up in California. It was I never thought I'd live in Utah. And I've always worked in the uh, media production field. And then I I got a, um interest in going to law school. So I went to law school. And that just what kind of combination is that when you're working in the media field and then you have a law degree? It's it's weird. And I was in in a job that was just the budgets were shrinking. Staff was shrinking. It was getting harder and harder to, to live in California. And um, – Man, I just I came here and I, and I I love it here. Um, he talked about having to assimilate. You know, yeah, I've had to learn to shovel snow and things that I never have before. <laughs> but uh, I can see now, looking back, you know, he talks about the destiny. All that learning, all that education, has brought me to this point to do what I'm doing now. And uh, and I feel like what I'm doing now has merit. Beyond just job satisfi- satis- uh, satisfaction, satisfaction, you Thanks. can't get I got no. stuck on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, beyond just you know personal job satisfaction, I feel like I'm doing something that is uh, impactful and and uh, worthy. And yeah, that destiny of uh, being led somewhere, 
and looking back at, okay, all these years of doing this has brought me to this point. That's kind of neat when you get get to there and you feel like, hey, you know, that was for something. And I did this because of that. And I, I learned this because of that. And I can see with him, you know, he's learned um, how to direct plays and how to do this to, to bring him here to do that and put a message out to an audience that all these years of experience have brought him to this point. And uh, I, I really felt like I could relate to that. There's something kind of wonderful also about his assertion that in order to get through in the vast array of experiences that he has out in the world that that there's a, a necessity but also in him a real willingness to say this thing that I do not understand I will wait until I understand yeah. you know rather than just jumping ship on his beliefs there's a willingness to say I, I don't understand everything this this that I don't understand I will wait to understand that's I think that's lovely I think many times in life we are faced with things that we don't understand and sometimes we have to wait it out so to speak and push forward and continue going and going until something comes up and we learn a little bit more and um, I think many times sometimes we're trying to get a different job or trying to know if we need to move or maybe it's a career choice that might be you know, there might be some family issues. And sometimes we just need to hang tight and stay true to our beliefs. Do you remember back about midway through the conversation, uh, he talked about a relationship in religious communities versus non-religious communities. And he says, I always want to be who I am in all venues. And I thought, well, yeah, you always want to be who you are and not put on airs and things. But then he said, too, um, do I succeed? You know, almost feeling inadequate. Like, I don't know if I succeed in putting my my true self forward in all different venues. And I think in a lot of ways he was very honest in, uh, and a lot of us feel very inadequate in how we are um, talking or, or being perceived by other people's. I know I quite often don't say what comes out of my mouth is not what was going through my head. And, uh, that was really interesting uh, introspective for him to look and say, you know, I don't know that I always succeed at doing that. One of the seminal transitions of my life was the transition from high school to college. And I grew up in this tiny little conservative Utah town and I was very happy. <laughs> and then I moved to a bigger city to go to, to go to well, the thriving metropolis of Ogden, Utah, <laughs> right, to go to college. But I did see a lot of a lot of different ways to live a person's life, you know, in college. And I thought, what am I supposed to do now? I mean, do I do I pick from among the the, the ways of life that I'm seeing around me? And 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 I thought, well, I I know how I've lived so far. Why don't I try that way? <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I thought about that when he was talking about not really demarcating between living in in one kind of community or another. My life experience that I uh, relate to that is. My husband, I met my husband at Brigham Young University, and it's a religious institution. Every, uh, most students coming here have uh, the same beliefs and values in life. And uh, our experience was upon graduation. He was an ROTC student, and so we knew that we would be immediately going into the military. And I remember as we were preparing, he graduated and was commissioned, and as we were preparing to leave, uh, we loaded up our little car with our earthly belongings and drove all the way across the country to Virginia to a military post and just wondering how we would relate to all of these new people that we would be meeting, uh, feeling like we had lived in a very a, a community where everybody thought and reacted the same way we did and we knew that we were leaving that. And uh, it initially was a little bit of a transition, but it's kind of like what he said later on, what um, – he referred to in talking with people that where we have disagreements, if we just uh, want to be loving and react with kindness and warmness, I think was the word that he used. Um, it soon became very evident that you can be who you are wherever you are, but you just need to do it with kindness and warmness and genuine, being genuine. I've had the chance to work with a lot of different people uh, religiously and from different backgrounds, some from South America, some are 
like say other religions. And I've had the chance to have some very, I guess, eye-opening and very uplifting conversations uh, with other people and other faiths. And they also look to me and they know my beliefs. They know what I should do. And, and I, I liked his comment about being the same, no matter who he's with. And a lot of times I think we, I think some people forget and they try to be somebody, I guess they try to fit in. Um, for me, I don't, I try to be the same no matter who I'm with, no matter what I'm doing, because that's how true respect and true love for each other, in my opinion, begins. There were a number of moments in his remarks when he got emotional. And, and one of those was at the very close of his remarks when he was talking about that wonderful scene from Shakespeare's Winter's Tale. And that I got to say, that's when I first saw that scene as a teenager, that's the scene that turned my head toward Shakespeare. And it's that wonderful scene where the king is asked to believe this impossible thing. You know, the king believes in this impossible thing and takes a step of faith in that direction. And the statue comes to life. The impossible thing happens. That's quite a resonant image for me. And it was lovely to hear him speak with such love for that notion as well. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists and especially Dr. Roger Sorensen for sharing his stories and his faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation. We welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Reach out anytime via email, ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find all of our shows archived online for listening or sharing at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith or subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced with help from Marcus Smith. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join us again soon right here in Good Faith.